Hello everyone and welcome to the sixth episode of HR Zone's All Hands on Tech podcast. I'm Becky Norman, the editor of HR Zone, and joining our host Dr Max Bloomberg for our final episode of the year is globally renowned HR analyst Josh Burson. During their conversation, Max and Josh discussed the need to cut down the digital noise level that is making work more challenging for people, the rise of what is known as the T-shaped career, and also what HR should be focusing on in 2020. Before I leave you with Max and Josh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. Thanks everyone, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to HR Zone's All Hands on Tech podcast. I'm Max Bloomberg, and in this final episode of 2019, we're very pleased to have world-renowned industry analyst Josh Burson join us and give us some foresight into the year and indeed the decade ahead. Josh is founder and dean of the Josh Burson Academy, a global professional development academy for HR that offers practitioners powerful digital learning experiences and opportunities to collaborate with their peers. Josh is a global researcher, educator, public speaker, and writer on the topics of HR, talent management, recruiting, leadership, and technology. He is also an advisor for a variety of HR and learning companies to help them align their products and services towards the needs of corporate buyers. A very warm welcome to you, Josh. Thank you, Max. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about the the kind of the guy behind Josh Person. Who are you? How did you get into this field? Well, I, I you know, I stumbled into it 20 years ago after working in um, sales and marketing and tech. Um, in the e-learning days and did a lot of research on the original concepts of e-learning and learning management systems and then found there was a big appetite for research and spent um, roughly 15 years building up a research business in HR in various parts of the HR tech market um, and doing all sorts of studies on that and going around the world speaking on and, and meeting with many, many HR departments about it. Um, and then I left Deloitte in 2008, 2000. May of 2018, and have been building an, an, a global academy for HR now for professional development on all these same topics. So it's been a fascinating experience for me. And I think my background originally as an engineer and a technologist helped because I came into HR from the outside and, and asked a lot of questions that people may not have been asking at the time. But it's a, as you guys know, it's a very fascinating, very critical part of business now. And I feel privileged to be able to help HR organizations and HR leaders all over the world figure out what's next. That's fantastic. I mean, yeah, you know, I also come from an engineering background and I still don't think I fully understand HR, but I don't think that's necessarily, (laughs) I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. So, um, you know, broadly, just before we get into this, Josh, where are we going with people in organizations? You know, are they becoming more important, less important? We've got the AI threat. Um, we've got the owners, the investors, the equity holders potentially marginalizing employees. But we know people are important. Where, where are people going in organizations over the next couple of years? Well, people are more important than ever. So I, I've, I'm a completely contrary to the conversations about computers taking over human roles. Actually, computers are taking over routine work and people-related jobs are getting more important than ever. Witness the very low unemployment rate. We're basically running out of people. There's so many jobs. 
And what, what you really find in most companies is that um, as the world of business becomes more digital and we have more data and automation, the human parts of business become accentuated. And so all of the roles that used to be more routine become more service-related. And so the need for soft skills, which are often called, I call them power skills, listening, empathizing, creating, designing, innovating, um, selling, managing, supervising, those are becoming what business jobs are. You know, typing things into a spreadsheet can be done by an R, you know, sort of an RPA tool, but um, interpreting the spreadsheet and communicating what the data means and um, acting on the data is human. So the human role in business is getting even more important. And that's why CEOs are so focused on reskilling and re-enabling jobs. And now what's happening as part of that, and this is what the whole future of work conversation has been about now for the last couple of years, is the job itself has changed. So if your job is fill in this form and, you know, send it to such and such a department, that job isn't necessarily needed. But the, but the real work behind that job is to communicate information from one place to another. So job descriptions, job titles um, are being changed as fast as you can imagine to accommodate the way work is changing. So, um, so people are more important than ever. In fact, one of the things that I make, the point I like to make to a lot of HR leaders is people are the only appreciating asset you have in business now. Um, and as they, as you develop people and treat people well, they can learn how to do many, many new things as technology enters the workforce. So um, actually reinvesting in people and supporting people and creating a more um, human workplace is one of the biggest themes for the next year, I think. So, so if all of this automation and the new digitalization is going to enable new processes, allowing people to communicate better with each other, et cetera. I mean, presumably people are communicating now, but this is going to afford us new opportunities. Is this going to change the shape of business? Is business going to be able to do new things that it couldn't do before because people are so empowered? Yeah, I mean... If, if the company manages it well, I mean, first of all, one, we're in a little bit of an intermediate stage right now where we've got all these interconnected communication tools at work, and we, but we have a hierarchical job structure that's getting in the way. So, you know, the, the, the industrial model of a company is, you know, the boss tells the sub-boss what to do and the sub-boss tells their subordinates what to do and they sell their subordinates what to do and it goes on down the chain. Once everybody's connected to everybody and the projects and teams and customer interactions are more agile, that hierarchical model of management is no longer really needed. So now that people are more connected and more empowered, now we have to focus on um, where you should spend your time to be most effective. In fact, IBM finished a big study two months ago of 4,500 business leaders on what are the skills they want from their people. And the number two skill was time management. Where should you spend your time when you have 100 emails today, 32 meeting invitations, conference calls, physical meetings, plans to get on, uh, customers to talk to? How do you manage your time? So the, the new world of work is teaching leaders and supervisors and individuals 
how to work in a more networked organization, and how to cut through the clutter of digital noise that's distracting us. And I hear about this constantly. Now, one of the things that's happening at the workforce level is people are very anxious about this. There's a high level of anxiety in the workforce today. We've had 11 years of economic growth. People are worried about their careers and their jobs. Um, they're highly interconnected. They're taking work home on weekends. I mean, really, you can, you can work all the time now pretty easily if you want to. So managers have to behave differently. We have to help people get focused and bring put them into smaller teams and segment the teams so people know what they're supposed to work on and what they're not supposed to bother with and, um, and give them the opportunity to grow and uh, perform in those jobs. So it's a little bit different than it used to be. It isn't the top-down management by objectives world anymore. And, and I, I just got finished in two weeks in Asia and um, almost everybody there, you know, says, including most of the big banks and insurance companies, well, you know, we know we're operating in an agile work experience. You know, we've, we've kind of cut down the, lo- the, the walls of the offices. We're all sitting in open bullpens and working in teams, but how do we cut down the noise level? I mean, how do we cut down the digital noise level so we know where people should spend their time? So there's a whole new generation of management practices and HR practices now about how to manage the company as a network as opposed to the company as a hierarchy. You know, that's really interesting. You say that's new, but Josh, I, you know, I guess both of us uh, you know, may just about remember the 80s when we were finishing school, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but we, we're getting, you know, getting things done. Stephen Covey, you know, first things first. You know, time management has been with us forever. So are we looking at the same methods but taken to a new level because of digitalization? No, in fact, this is funny. I, I People laugh when I bring this up in speeches. The time management courses that I took when I was at IBM were about how to fill out your planner, how to make lists. Um, you know, that isn't the problem anymore. The problem is your cognitive overload. How do you focus your time, your energy, your resilience? You know, what is the most creative time of the day for you? How do you deal with you know, massive amounts of incoming information. Um, I mean, there probably are sort of time management courses out there, but it's more than time management. It's work management. How do you manage work? Um, and, you know, even young people, you know, everybody sort of thinks that young people, you know, kind of deal with this well. You know, they're very, you know, you sit in, like the first time I sat in a meeting at Deloitte, and everybody opened up their emails and started doing their emails during the meeting. I was just astounded. And then, a year later, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> and, I, and, I was, and I would say to people, wait a minute, everybody close your computers. We're going to spend 15 minutes talking about something. And I want to look at you. Um, you know, those kinds of things weren't in the time management books of 10 or 15 years ago. We didn't have those kinds of problems. So it is a little bit different now. That's interesting. You know, I, I had a mentor who, whenever he came in, he said, you know, Max, you're always working. Why do I never see you with your feet on the desk, just staring into space, thinking and planning? And I guess that's kind of what you were telling the people in your room to do when you said, stop with the emails. Let's have a discussion and think kind of more laterally instead of linearly. No, exactly. I mean, that's that's the Jeff Bezos write the press release before you have the plan idea. Uh, I mean, apparently at, at Amazon, they spend the first 10 minutes of meetings um, talking about or reading before they start the conversation. 
we have to be careful. All these digital tools are sold by technology vendors that would just be happy for us to use them and not get any work done at all. Um, getting work done is not the same as using the tool. Yet you do talk a lot about tools acknowledging that the unit of analysis is the team. So, you know, ADP, for example, creating that you can configure rules per team. I mean, that's incredible. You know, it used to be rules per company. Uh, now we're down to rules per team and we've got graphical databases. We're not working relational anymore. So it does feel like the tools are following the shape of the company, which is becoming increasingly networked. Is, is that going to be helpful? Yeah, the tools industry, the software industry for an HR and, and workforce productivity is, is, moves very, very fast. So, um, and in some ways, it was ahead of the organizations. Organizational design and management practices have been catching up to the technology. I mean, we had, we had Google and YouTube and Twitter, you know, 10 years ago uh, and Facebook and all that stuff. Um, and now we have Microsoft Teams. Finally, Microsoft Teams is the industrialization of a tool for businesses to manage work in teams. Um, now, people use Slack and other things before that. Um, and so I, I, think, I think most companies are finding that the tools are getting better and more suited towards business uses. The other thing that's happened is most of the tools we use at work came out of the consumer world. That didn't used to be true. I mean, in the old days, it came out of the business tools were different from the consumer worlds. Now, now the consumer tools we bring to the we bring our iPhone to work and we expect it to be useful at work, while we're getting messages from our family and all sorts of pictures and everything else. Um, so, um, so I think the uh, my I guess biggest thought is that really we have to figure out how to run our companies well first and select the tools that are best for us and try to shield people from the noise that they're going to bring to work anyway with their personal equipment. Um, and that's just the way, the way the world is right now. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you know, you talk about the necessity for platforms, for example, to be able to include best of breed apps so that you can just lock, you know, they call it lock on rather than locking people in. So, you know, if you're a workday, you need to have APIs so that somebody who's really good at doing retention or whatever can lock in that. Do you think that is the way that we're going to start seeing open uh, people platforms? Yeah, there was a there was a period of time um, mid 2000s when there was a lot of consolidation in HR right around the time of the 2008 recession and um, HR departments believed they could buy everything from one platform. SAP acquired a success factors, Oracle acquired, acquired Taleo, uh, Workday came to market, uh, ADP bought a bunch of companies. And so, you know, there was this belief that, you know, maybe if I buy one set of tools from one vendor, I can sort of take care of most of my problems in one place. That didn't last very long. And lots of innovative ideas um, were developed into new technologies in learning and recruiting and AI and chatbots and collaboration and goal setting, performance management, feedback, engagement. Um, and now HR departments have a core platform for system of record and payroll 
And then they have a whole lot of other systems. In fact, the average HR department has 11 um, sort of different systems of record for different parts of the people management experience. And so the big vendors had to make a decision of, do we want to compete in all of these different subcategories or do we want to be an open platform that interoperates? And they've all capitulated now and basically given up on trying to build everything and opened up their platforms to be um, interchangeable or, or at least have data access to these other systems. And one of the things about the cloud that's really kind of cool that didn't wasn't possible when we had you know behind the firewall software is the API APIs are all public. So integration between my best of breed performance management tool and my core HR system isn't that hard to do. So now HR departments can essentially think about their HR environment like the iPhone. We just buy apps and stick them in there and we deploy them. And if they work and people like them, great. If they don't, we can delete them and bring in new ones. So with any luck, we'll have Kaggle one of these days for HR. Yeah, there'll be all sorts of things like that. Absolutely. Wow, that is phenomenal. I mean, the idea of an app store, you know, when you say it, it sounds so so logical. And I'm amazed that we're not there yet, actually. Well, we are. I mean, ADP is the one that's a little bit farthest down the road. They have an app store of uh, three or 400 apps that work in the ADP marketplace. So amazing. Now, you were talking about this kind of the shortage of employees and, you know, finding talent so difficult. So here you are, you now have got to meet the needs of a new generation who are quite specific about what they want, perhaps compared to previous generations and maybe quite rightly so. Um, how do you manage that? How do you change? What do you need to change in the organization? You know, not only to meet the needs of these newer generations, but also to have multi-generational people all working together in the same place. How do you cope with that? The biggest one that I think most companies have to think about right now is the new world of careers. You know, when I got out of college in the 70s, the career model was, you know, you work in the same job for two or three years and you get a, a bump, a promotion, but you're pretty much in the same job, a little more responsibility. And then at some point in your life, five, 10 years down the road, you have the opportunity to become a manager. And you kind of work your way up the Peter principle until you can't go any further and that's it. That's just not the way it works anymore. Um, you know, things are changing so fast that young people and old people too, um, you know, they, they may work in a job for a year or two and say, well, that's great. I want to get better at this, but I also want to try something else. So, you know, maybe I'd like to do a little bit of work in this other area. And so I'd like a developmental assignment or a rotation or a transfer to, you know, maybe take an international assignment or work. I work in sales and I want to work in marketing. I want to mar work in marketing. I want to work in digital marketing. I want to work in from digital marketing. I want to get some work in product marketing. I want to go from product marketing to product management, on and on. And that's the world of careers today. And we don't have super good systems inside companies to facilitate that yet. And um, so what happens is young people will say, you know, if, I'm, if I don't feel like I can get ahead in this company, ahead meaning do more interesting things, I'm just going to go find another job. And, and it's so hard to hire right now. We just did a study that shows it's six times more expensive to hire an engineer on the outside than it is to develop an engineer on the inside, that um, companies are really struggling and working very 
ambitiously to build better systems for internal career management. And that helps older people too. You know, somebody my age, you know, I'm in my early 60s, uh, you know, I'll probably work another 10 or 15 years, but, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to become the CEO of the company, but I might want a new assignment and I want to add value and I want to, you know, have an opportunity to make more money. Um, and so there's opportunities for me to be a, maybe a mentor or a coach or uh, a sales leader or do something with customers. Um, we need to open that up. It's called, it's being, it's emerging as what I call an internal talent marketplace. And that is a really inspirational peak thing that drives particularly younger workers in the workforce today. There's lots of management issues that have to be addressed on how you get paid. Should you get a raise? Um, is it okay for your manager to let you go? Do, does, do his, are his goals consistent with the goals of the individuals? You know, how do you assess people against an internal job versus an outside candidate? I mean, there's things like that have to be addressed, but it's all being discussed now as kind of the future of, of careers. Are there any companies, you know, that listeners might know that are really good at this or are well down the road to getting this sort of thing right? Yeah, there's three companies working. I mean, there's a lot of companies working on it right now. The three that I've spent the most time with most recently are uh, Unilever, um, who has a very active internal marketplace for jobs where people can move from role to role and do projects in different um, different product areas. Uh, Schneider Electric, which has done this. By the way, this is a big issue inside of HR too. HR professionals have exactly this need to move, to try different things and do different roles inside of HR to develop themselves uh, in what I call the full stack model. Um, the third that I've been talking to recently is Pepsi. And it's interesting, Pepsi and Unilever are both in the consumer goods markets, and they're in a way leaders in this because their markets and their products themselves are highly distributed and constantly changing. And so the people and the skills have to move from place to place much more quickly. But it's happening in Schneider Electric is a manufacturing and distribution company. So it's happening in all sorts of companies now. So it's it's definitely the wave of the future. You know, we talk about people and what they're going to need to do in the future, you know, fluid competencies, fluid capabilities, so that the employee capabilities match the capabilities of the organization. But what about, you know, and I'm doing air, air uh, inverted commas around here. Um, what about people that are kind of stuck in one career that don't want to broaden their experience? Is there any hope for these people in the workforce that don't, that are not good at embracing change, basically? Well, that's exactly what I just wrote an article about this weekend. It's called the T-shaped career. And it's a very it's actually something that's been written about a fair amount. The idea is that your career over time is both vertical and horizontal like a T. And in whatever domain you may be a specialist in, um, if you enjoy that work and you're good at it and you're, you know, in a reasonably good job, you're probably going to want to keep doing more of it because it satisfies you and you're well known. And but you also have to be horizontal, which is the top of top of the T. And so people that are nervous about trying new projects or assignments will plateau in their career. Um, I was an engineer early in my career. We were talking about this a minute ago. And one of the reasons I got out of engineering is I did sense early in my career that engineering was going to be limiting to me because I'm a little bit more of a liberal arts person. 
And so I moved into all these other jobs. I worked in product management. I worked in marketing. I worked in sales. I worked as a VP of marketing. I had all these other roles. And if I think back now about my career, if I hadn't stretched myself into these other adjacent jobs, I wouldn't be as successful as I am today. And there's a very, very interesting book called Range. It's, it's essentially a story about why generalists tend to outperform specialists over time. And, there, and the book doesn't really say that it's not good to be a specialist, but it, what it does say through sports and uh, political leaders and business leaders and many, many people, that breadth of experience in different domains pays off enormously. And so I really like to encourage people to take a little bit of a risk and try something new. Um, and you'll be surprised at how successful you will be and where you'll end up two, three years later. And, you know, that's always a, a difficult situation for people of, you know, is this the right thing to do next? And should I try that? These days, you know, careers are very forgiving. People change roles much more frequently. You're not considered to be a job hopper. I mean, when I was young, if you change jobs every two or three years, it was actually considered to be negative. You were called a job hopper. Now it's kind of like good. People are like, oh, well, you've had all these different experiences. Well, you know, maybe you'd be good here. Um, that, that's my recommendation on it. Um, for people that love what they're doing, though, um, you know, do more of it and, and just expand your horizons in, in adjacent areas. Everybody has in their own field uh, new things they can learn uh, that are, you know, in their domain and whether it be tools, technologies, best practices, you know, examples, maybe work in a different industry. Um, and that always pays off in the long run. You know, not to put a, to put a downer on the idea, but I, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, as a psychologist, because you see, I, I do maths and psychology because I'm following your, your model of trying to do as many things as I can in this life. Um, but, you know, the five-factor personality test, one of the factors besides extroversion and all that kind of thing is openness to new experiences. And I think you're speaking to people who enjoy openness to new experience. They're the ones who are going to grab opportunities. People who are fairly low on that trait are going to be really nervous. And if you're correct, which I'm sure you are, um, is that not going to divide the world into uh, haves and have-not employees? The haves, high openness, and the have-nots, low openness. Max, let me make two points on that. First of all, I just read a fascinating thing over the weekend. Um, one of the Nobel Prize winners of uh, economists, I forgot her name now, did a study of people who were uprooted from their homes and had to move because of economic changes or terrorism or political change, where they had to pick up and move their whole family to another city, which is an incredibly disruptive thing to do. Well, it turned out five years later, those people were far better off financially than the people who stayed. And the conclusion that she came to, which is the same one that I do, is that sometimes you need a kick in the butt to force you to get out of a complacent situation that isn't necessarily getting you where you want to go. I got laid off, and that's the reason I became an HR analyst. Um, it turned out to be a great thing for me. The second thing is on the organization side, we have to make it safe and easy for people to do this. We can't make it risky. We can't say, oh, well, if you really want to take that job, good luck. We'll see if it works out for you because then they won't do it. 
We won't be able to move people around. We have to make it. We have to tell stories about it. We have to make it. We have to give them development opportunities. We have to reward them for moving. We have to get rid of the bias. Oh, nobody ever moves from sales to marketing. That's, you know, nobody ever goes into HR in this company. That's the place where you die. You know, we can't do that. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to try and get people to be as broad as possible. And maybe that is what happens to HR people. I mean, besides the reputation that you go to HR to die, maybe HR is the least likely to have moved around the rest of the organization. Because if you're in marketing, you're certainly going to have to know what's going on in operations and IT. But in HR, you kind of can be spared having to know how finance and the rest of the business operates. Well, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think you can if you choose to not move around. But as I wrote about in this article this weekend, I meet a lot of HR people. And the ones that are by far the most successful are the ones that have worked in sales, worked in operations, worked in manufacturing, worked in research. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying the old HR, that's why they had that reputation. Of, of, of not going anywhere. And I think the new ones, you're exactly right, are the ones who are embracing the rest of the business. The other thing that's different is th- there's some really interesting burning glass research that they did over the last five years called hybrid jobs. And the data, the economic data shows that all of the domain specific jobs have become more hybrid. Engineering jobs, sales jobs, marketing jobs, they've all become like that, where the, the people that stayed in one specific domain for a long time saw their earnings grow at a lower rate than the people that moved to adjacent areas. So this idea of a hybrid career, it's like what Steve Jobs wrote. You know, when Steve Jobs talked about science and humanities, what he was really saying is that it's the combination of engineering and the human usage of engineering that makes Apple successful. That's true in all of our jobs, all of our roles, all of our careers. It's the combination of our domain expertise and the ways we know how to apply it that we learn from, you know, sort of being around. Also, we're living longer. You know, the other thing that's different is, you know, you're not going to retire at 55. You're probably not going to retire at 65. You might be working into your 70s and 80s. So you have a lot more time now to move around and try different things in the business world that we didn't, than we may have had in the past. And you've got a lot of things like MOOCs to help you learn, um, you know, to mm-hmm. take things on. I mean, the point is really well made. When I I work a lot with people analytics, um, and at the end of teaching a group, you know, working with a company for a while, people say, but, you know, Max, that's such common sense. And I say, well, you know, analytics is just the – it's applied common sense. Um, maybe if you'd had more of a liberal education – uh, as you say, sort of, you know, multi-domain education rather than going down one road, you'd have more common sense. So maybe that is why society loses common sense because we're specializing too much. That's the whole thesis of that book. <laughs> right on. He's got a lot of examples in there of people that have... The other thing that they, the other thing he found in that study in that book is that early in your career is the time to move around more. Because you're sampling different things and you're finding what you're really good at. So I encourage young people, you know, if they don't like their job, you know, try something different. You, you know, you'll, you'll be okay. You know, you've got time. Josh, I'm conscious that, uh, that you need to, to zoom off, but I'm dying to ask you something. As a guy who clearly thinks a lot about the market, even for a living, you do it. Um, what makes a guy like you start 
an academy. Why do you think that is so important now? Well, for me, it was it was two things. One is I see so much need and passionate demand for HR people to learn more about the world of work and business and uh, and what's going on in HR tech and all these new domains. And the second is for me as an analyst and a thought leader, it's a way for me to extend myself further. I, I can only give so many speeches. I can only do so many podcasts. I can only write so many articles. But by developing these, you know, really rich, interactive instructional programs, uh, I can reach more people and they, they, they're more useful. I, I also think the academy, the way we've designed it, is incredibly useful. People can go in there, they can learn, they can watch videos, they can interact with other people. It's all cohort based, so they learn from each other. So um, I'm really excited about it. The HR profession has been left behind in terms of its own professional development. So I think it's a, it's a badly needed area. And there's some very new creative ways to uh, interact in there. And I'm learning a lot from people that are in there talking to each other. HR has become a very innovative part of business. And, and so a lot of the innovations that companies are um, doing are showing up in the academy. So all of those are the reasons that I got it off that I've been doing this. So a lot of it is about, you know, your personal growth comes through the growth of others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what I do for a living and, and I, I get tremendous value out of helping other people this way. And it's a way to do it in a more scalable way. And there clearly is. The other thing is that the number of new topics hitting HR is staggering every year. Uh, You can't read all the books. I read a lot of books, but most people don't. Uh, You'll never keep up with that reading articles and listening to podcasts constantly. So this is a new, another way of collect, of learning new information. So, so as a parting shot, Josh, and it's been a really amazing conversation, you know, what would your advice be to, you know, I guess your target market is HR people. Well, what is your advice? What's the next thing that people should do after listening to this? Well, going into 2020, um, you know, we may have an economic slowdown. So, you know, the, you may be asked to do things a little bit differently than the year before, but I think it's a year of personal reinvention for all of us. I think we have to all be cognizant of the anxieties, political stress, income inequalities at work, um, be very sensitive to those human issues, um, and be okay reinventing ourselves and reinventing the way we develop programs and manage people. Um, You know, we're not going to have a massive, I doubt we're going to have a massive recession or anything like that next year. But the stresses on workers are high. The stresses on organizations are high. And we're in the middle of this in HR. And so I think over the Christmas time and holiday time, take a little bit of time off. A lot of companies are starting to have their planning meetings now because I'm going to some of them. And, um, and do a little bit of reinvention. HR has to stay ahead of these topics. And you know we've been given the responsibility and the opportunity to really add a lot of value. So that's, that would be my number one thing. I think that is such a great message to close on. Let let 2020 be your year of reinvention. Josh Burson, thank you so much for joining us on today's HR Zone podcast. Thank you, Max. That was Max and Josh talking about some of the trends and challenges in HR today. What a great way to finish off our podcast for the year. 
I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and if you do want to hear more please do hit the subscribe button. We'll be back early in the new year but in the meantime I hope you enjoy the festive season and have a wonderful new year.